Virtual brands and ghost kitchens have been hugely popular since the outset of the pandemic. But just how big will they be? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business. And in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Denny Marie Post, the former Red Robin CEO turned corporate board member and advisor. Perhaps no trend in the industry has taken off in the past year or two quite like the emergence of ghost kitchens and virtual brands. For context, a ghost kitchen or dark kitchen is generally a kitchen for delivery and takeout only and hosts one or more brands. A virtual brand is a brand that operates for delivery and takeout only and can be housed in existing restaurants or in ghost kitchens or elsewhere. We wanted to ask Denny about this because of her experience at Red Robin, which is housing Donato's Pizza concept as a virtual brand, as well as her experience as an advisor to NextBite, the virtual brand concept. Denny brings her typically wonderful insight to the podcast, talking about exactly what kind of impact these trends will have on the industry going forward. The combination of the two trends, in summary, bring a different strategy for investing and growing restaurant concepts than there have ever been before. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Denny Marie Post. Denny, welcome once again to the podcast. Thank you, John. That's my favorite thing to do. Awesome. Well, I like to hear that. So, what have you been? Uh, what have you been up to? Tell us. Uh, tell everybody what you've been. What's going on? Oh my goodness, I'm uh, I'm very happy, busy. I'm uh, serving on a number of boards, and I'm advising a couple of companies, both related to restaurants. Um, actually, most of my board work is either in hospitality or or food as well. And uh, I'm advising a company in the virtual brand space called Nextbite, and also a company called the Live Kindly Collective, that's mm-hmm. bringing plant based foods into the U.S. from outside. So, really interesting, revolutionary cool things to grow from and, and mm-hmm. to, to contribute to. Wait a minute. So plant-based food? This plant-based bringing, food. Yeah. Cause yes. I haven't heard of live kind collective. Tell us. You've not heard of the live kindly collective. Well, that's, yeah. you should have a, a jam. Yeah. They are, they're actually a group that has purchased um, known brands from outside the United States. So leading brands in Europe, South Africa, Australia, and they're bringing them now into retail and food service here in the U S and mm-hmm. The brand that we're working with most readily for food service is called Like Meat. Um, recently got some press because we developed a, the red bean, uh, cage, the Cajun red bean burger for Popeye's launch in the UK. Oh. So that's kind of the first one that's been in food service, and it was specific to the UK. Cajun red bean burger? Yeah. Yeah, right. it's really cool. It's really yeah. cool. If they can, if they can mimic their, uh, if they can mimic that uh, product in burger it. form, I would eat it every day. That's see, I'm, I'm telling you, yeah, and I've tried it, and it's, it's really good because really? we are using, you know, of course the Popeyes R and D team is amazing. Uh, so yeah. Amy Alarcon and Steve and the group there, they just do great work, and so we work closely with them. But, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also there's a wings product called uh, just, uh, just wings. And, uh, we're talking to some folks about, about launching that it's actually in a drummy form. So it's, it's really cool. Right. So right. It's fun, but I love, I love the space. There's just so much excitement in restaurants. Right now. There is a lot going on. And so you're, you're involved, you've been involved a little bit in the, in the, the virtual brand in the ghost kitchen space, which is sort of what I wanted to focus a little bit on today, yeah. uh, especially given your history in the, in the industry. So, you know, a little bit about this. And I guess, you know, I guess as, as you look right now going into 2022, I mean, how, I mean, I, I guess the first question is, like, it's it's just so wild west out there right now. I mean, we've got probably tens of thousands of different virtual brands operating. We've got ghost kitchens that are growing faster than my children are. And we, and and it, it's just, and it just seems like it, it just, 
it, it, it presents a number of, of, of challenges and things of that nature. I guess the first question is, where does this stuff settle? Is this growth going to continue? Or are we going to start seeing some of these brands fall by the wayside or people give up on them? What's going on? Well, let's take them in order. Let's start with right. ghost kitchens. Um, yes. I think yeah. the, the possibility for ghost kitchens are essentially unlimited because it's the new, more efficient uh, build, essentially, for restaurants that have known uh, brands and equity that just can't justify building 5,000 square foot brick and mortar units anymore in markets that clearly don't have, you know, 24 seven demand for them or even just eat within hours. So, so if you've got a great brand name and it's, it's known and you can use ghost kitchen to enter urban markets or even underserved suburban markets at this point, uh, it, it just allows you to leverage what has been the brand equity for a long time. Now, you got to stand for something, right? Mm -hmm. um, if it's all been about the experience, it's really hard to translate that into just serving food out of a ghost kitchen because, let's admit it, people don't come to you first and foremost for your food. But if you have a known for, and I, I, I'd cite Smoky Bones as a good example. I, mm -hmm. you know, I know the team there. You know, they've taken that and, and taken barbecue, which is, um, is, is a hard to make at home, uh, and while there's lots of regionals and all kinds of things, it's not overpenetrated. And they're using ghost kitchens to go into markets or areas that that um, they just wouldn't have been able to justify a freestanding mm. or a, even a you know a, a unit that also has dine-in. So I think ghost kitchens absolutely are here to stay. I also think virtual brands are absolutely here to stay, but that is a much more um, complicated space because to your point. It's like the restaurant industry overall. I mean, so many people look at it and go, how hard could it be? It's just serving food. Well, let me tell you how hard it is, right? To make, mm -hmm. a, make money in the restaurant industry. And I read somewhere that like all, almost 50% or more, back to your point about Wild West, of restaurants now have some virtual brand yeah. operating. Uh, and I've, I've seen, and that may be an average because I know there are some that are doing multiple um, but but I've seen complicated menus. I've seen them um, stretch out of their core competencies in a way that doesn't really make sense. Uh, you know, the CEO's got a desire to do some kind of funky new thing, so they throw it up as a virtual brand. But what always happens if it's your own second child, you have a couple of them, you know, you starve the second one a little bit to take care of the first. And that's mm -hmm. always going to happen. There's always going to be a preference and the core business will always win out. What I like about the virtual brand space as NextBite has envisioned it, for example, is they bring the focus and the marketing and the development and all of it. And it becomes a production kitchen fulfillment partnership. So it drives revenue, but it doesn't require the internal resources that doing it your own on your own does. So it's right. a, it's an interesting kind of marriage. Yeah, yeah, it's um, I mean, it's 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 fascinating the way this has sort of worked out because on on the virtual brand space, you you really have a it. And I mean, you know the industry uh, as well as anybody. You know that it has this propensity for copycat concepts. So. Okay, somebody always been a fast follower business. Yeah. Oh yeah, so oh, yeah. somebody did a really good job uh, selling some yogurt. Oh, let's do like twenty eight million frozen yogurt concepts. <laughs> somebody did a really good job selling chicken wings. Oh, let's everybody needs to have chicken oh, wings God. all of a sudden. And so it 
so you tend to have a this flood of brands that go into it, you know, that are often selling some of the same things. And oh, absolutely, it's really wings, difficult. Yeah. yeah, the wings is a great example. I mean, everybody had them on their menu as mm-hmm. a pretty much as an appetizer, right? Bone in and boneless. So how hard could it be? Slap up a wings brand name and let's go for it. Um, but what you have to do is that's probably the most crowded category of all. Yeah, I think it's brilliant what it's just wings did. Um, mm-hmm. They've got it positioned. As, as simple, simple, stone cold, simple, very simple menu and a lot, and they deliver a lot for the money. So they really leverage value. You can't just say, I've got the same product. You've got to be able to differentiate through this space. And that's where the digital and virtual brands, the best conceived ones um, come through, the ones that are celebrity attached. Um, I think, you know, Next Bite just announced a relationship with Tom Colicchio. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can get Colicchio quality sandwiches, uh, from witchcraft, I, right now I can't access those. If that can be brought to me through the virtual brand space, I'm all in because that's going to pop off the page. But another wing brand, unless you got something, and it isn't sauces because they all do the same sauces, and it isn't anything else. You know, it's it's got to be around value or association with a celebrity mm-hmm. or something else, um, some kind of edge to it that appeals particularly to the younger audience that's so heavily into delivery. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do. I tend to think that it's just wings in some respects almost represents the future of the industry. They've been able to get that brand. I don't know when exactly they conceived of it, but it wasn't that long ago. And now it is a what a one hundred million dollar brand. They were able to get a lot of attention for it. They've and now they establish a brand name and a customer base that likes the wings and they can open an actual restaurant. So they, you have this potential of restaurant chain concept creation for relatively little startup costs. And, uh, and so they have essentially established a market that was not there two years or one, even one year ago. Oh, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, there, I think they just, they just looped their, their one mm-hmm. year, like August. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, uh, it was done in time for football season, as I remember last year. Yeah. And, you know, of course, this last two years, let's admit it, the time I, I can't keep track. It's, it's, it's been like a, a vortex, right? Time um, has no meaning. Yeah, time has no meaning. You're absolutely right. But you're right. They're, they've established a brand that can now get expressed in other ways. So, yes, there could be brick and mortar, but it could be very small scale, um, uh, you know, all of what a Wingstop does. Wingstop doesn't get prime, or, you know, um, corner intersection property. They go into they go into uh, into strip strip centers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's probably a lot of ways to do that. When I was at Red Robin and we brought Donatos into the brand, that was also the intention. It gave them the chance to establish their brand across the country. And ultimately, mm-hmm. my goal was to to be able to have delivery only or takeout only uh, smaller unit propositions. I think the whole notion of I think the notion of the five thousand square foot 30,000 square foot lobby with, you know, or 3,500 square foot seating is dead. I I just don't see everyone's going to start to scale down. And we always built those restaurants for the peak dine-in because that's all Mm -hmm. we had, peak dine-in. And uh, and, and now between the decline in lunch, which I'm sure is happening because people are not working the same way, 
at least dine out lunch and uh, and other things, you know, they can they can manage that to a small unit and really lean into off premise because that is the wave of the future. Right. So in other words, restaurants with uh, smaller, fewer seats, bigger kitchens, bigger kitchens, um, production kitchens. Yeah. I mean, right. they really are production kitchens. And and they and if you quit thinking about delivery as an add on business and you start realizing it's, you know, almost embrace it as your primary business. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to mean different things for staffing. It's going to mean different things for obviously design uh, location. Um, you know, a, a number of a number of opportunities that that restaurants really need to embrace. Right. But aren't we getting to a point then that that menus are going to be built towards just something that can survive, and then you're not really going to be able to get maybe some of the things that you used to be able to get at restaurants because they're all going to be built towards producing food that's going to stay a while and that people are going to want to eat for takeout reasons. Yeah, you know, I I think um, I mean the reality is a. a Pizza fresh out of the oven consumed in a in a restaurant is far better than the one that makes mm. it to your home. But somehow we've always been acceptable of that because you could easily reheat it if you wanted to, or you know, God knows, I've eaten my share of cold pizza. Um, you know, I I don't think that uh, I think getting closer to the guest, which is what Ghost Kitchens and Virtual Branch, that's certainly what Reef is doing, shrinking that distance of delivery. The quality, and I saw that when I worked with them last year, the quality of the food that that reached the the guest because it was such a, a smaller delivery area really made a difference. But I don't think, I think menus are going to simplify anyway. And mm. there probably will be some things that you can only get in the restaurant. Um, yeah. You know, I see that now when I try to order a, even a dessert to go and they'll say, oh, well, that's in a, you know, that's presented in a, a crock and I can't send that home with you. That doesn't bother Seasons 52, by the way. They send you home. I've, I've got more of those shot glasses in my cabinet right now than I'd like to admit. But they let you bring them back too. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I I think it's just going to require experimentation. And yes, there will be some experiences, table side things like that that'll still pull you into the restaurant. But um, but overall, I don't think it's about quality that's necessarily going to do that. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, it's almost it's almost like the restaurant of the future. Like it, when we're talking about an actual restaurant, a brick and mortar, not necessarily a virtual brand. The restaurant yeah. of the future is almost going to be two breast restaurants serving two different customer bases. And, and maybe they, maybe they involve different menus entirely. Um, you know, but I mean, like, let's look at my own. Well, I mean, now we don't have a print edition, but for a while we had, you know, we had a magazine and then we had an online version and the magazine is a very, very different product. If you remember than the online version two entirely different audiences and yeah. you almost had to do two completely different things. Um, you know, you can definitely, the, the restaurant, you know, tomorrow is going to be something that really actually has to treat these customers like what they are, which is two different, two entirely different customer base. Yeah. I, I think it's more about experience. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I do think that some people still love the experience of going out and gathering and being a part of it. I don't know that it changes the menu or the, um, even the, even the interaction. I mean, uh, so I'm on the board of Bluestone Lane, which is mm -hmm. the Australian Inspire Coffee concept now, 60 plus units. They went to all digital and, and they did it in a way that really embraced it, not just put the menu, you know, where you, you have to spread it out or get out your magnifying glasses to read it. And in a way that actually creates a better experience for me because it puts things forward based on my experience mm -hmm. and it makes the menu much more accessible. 
Um, so I do think digital menus, interaction, but there's still going to be that human interaction component, both with fellow guests, like a dining, a night out with friends. Sure. And there's still going to be that opportunity for me to wait on you and have, have some discourse that's quite different than um, enjoying restaurant quality food at home. I, I don't know that it's a different guest. I think it's a different occasion. Right. Um, I think in the case of the, of the, of the magazine, I think it truly is a different guest. And, and sadly and candidly, the, uh, as you know, the print edition guest is pretty much dying out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they just, they don't, uh, and, uh, and it's, 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 I think generationally there's something happening with restaurants on that same front. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I guess in that case, I'm probably more like a print edition reader uh, when it comes <laughs> to restaurants. Cause I'm not really a huge I just think that the food is just so much better when you're eating it at the restaurant um, really quickly. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if I'm at home, I'm like, kind of just cook, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Well, mm-hmm. you know how to cook. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, that's, um, that's another thing. You know, you've got a lot of, a lot coming up that just haven't had, did you take, did you take home back in high school? Um, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I did have to take home ec and I learned a few things, but I don't, uh, yeah, I don't learn in the classroom very well, Benny. I, 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 I'm not a really good, you're not a very good student. I have I to it. do it. I personally I have it. to do it. And so I, I just, that's what I do with my kids. It. I make them cook. Yeah. I'm like, go and yeah. make a bunch of mistakes. Just try to mine, clean up after yourself. Yeah. Mine does the same and he gets inspired. I mean, by what he tries out, out, but, uh, it, you know, I, I just, I do believe that um, the experience of people embracing their environments through the pandemic or whatever mm-hmm. else, that there's nowhere but up for the delivered food market. I right. do agree. Packaging still, we need packaging breakthroughs that, yeah. you know, don't cost an arm and a leg. And oh, by the way, they may be the old ones. You know, they may be, they may be the, they like growlers. They may be the mm-hmm. ones that end up in a closed loop system, which would be very appealing to this audience. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a lot to be solved. Um, I don't think dine-in is dead by any means, but I do think that any restaurant that believes they can solely exist on that in the future, and I know Gene and I know what they're doing at, you know, God love them at Darden. It's hard to argue with their results, but at some point, and they've they've accommodated their guests through pickup very well, mm-hmm. um, you know, but at some point, uh, you know, the, the guest is going to find another solution if they want it delivered. Well, even Gene, years. yeah. Even Gene has walked back some of his comments. I mean, is there, he? he's not, he's not, you know, he's not embracing DoorDash right now, but I mean, he's, he's, um, you know, he's walked back some of the com- comments on takeout. He didn't initially didn't think that, that the uh, amount of off-premises business would, would continue. It obviously has, yeah. um, you know, and then you look at company like Texas Roadhouse, which is still pretty hell bent against third-party delivery. <laughs> Yeah. Is still, you know, I mean, they're they're embracing virtual brands. I mean, they that's one of the things that they said at restaurant leadership is that really? they're gonna be yeah, yeah, they did. They're, oh, they're yeah. well, again, they've got that. kitchens, they've got kitchens that aren't utilized. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still not doing lunch. I guess they're you know, they've been creeping up their opening hours, but they're still not doing lunch. So if I can find two, if I can find two capable and give them the hours and bring them in mm-hmm. and and generate great burgers out of that restaurant Why at not? noon. Why not? That's the other thing is I love the dynamic, the capacity to dynamically show up and disappear, right? You, you, uh, it's a real estate battle on, on digital for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and what used to be signage was, you know, all the creation for awareness. Now you, you can be there at the right time. 
in digital and you can intersect your guest at exactly the right spot. Like, you know, the younger guests via TikTok and those kind of things, but you can immediately respond. And um, so I think brands can exist uh, in a much more efficient way with this model mm-hmm. as well. Right. Much more Does- efficient. Yeah, doesn't it? I mean, it really does emphasize, though. I mean, you're going to have to make sure that the food you deliver is quite. You don't have any other options to impress a guest. Like if I go to a regular restaurant, I dine in, you know, and like the you know the ambiance is good or or, or you know everything was clean, you know uh, the the server was wonderful, um, you know, and, and I just had a bad yep. yeah, yep. And, and I just had a bad meal. I you know I mean I may you know you have multiple options. I guess where it was a good value, you have multiple options. Whereas with a virtual brand, you you only have that one option to impress a guest. And then I guess the other issue that I have, I mean, it gets back into that. There's just like no barrier to entry to these things. And you get so many of them. And, and it just really, really just, it just completely changes the competitive dynamic in the restaurant space. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of things. One, I agree with you. Dining in, you know, if there's still a lot of food on my plate, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the sharp server is going to say, were you not happy with what you had? Or, you know, they'll try to make good in the moment. You don't have that option. You don't have that recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think um, to your point about, uh, about it has to be good. I agree. The food's got to be good. It's got to be consistent. Um, and I think a lot of it is, and that's part of the simplicity, simpler foods that are well delivered, you know, the pepperoni pizzas of the world. And there are a lot of those kind of options. Um, but I would say barriers to entry, you're spot on. Virtually none. I mean, I, I've, I pulled up, I should, I will send this to you actually, I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll tweet it, but I pulled up, I pulled a picture the other day from something labeled the best Chinese restaurant. Who knows, right? Uh, and the picture was literally of what appeared to be kind of wonton on white um, styrofoam plates. I mean, they somebody had shot that. It was the worst presentation I've ever seen. So barrier to entry, extremely low. Barriers to success, high. And those require focus and well-conceived brands and menus that, that you, know, you know you can operate, operate consistently. And some form of bringing attention to them because that's what brands do. Brands make a promise. And that's where the association with celebrities that some of these groups like Next Bite and BMC and others are bringing, that's, is it BDC? That, that's, you know, bringing, bringing that, which is elevating the brands out of the, the crowd. Yeah. Did you actually try that one? companies can't do that. Sorry. Yeah. I was just asking, did you actually try the wonton? I bet you it was actually delicious. I ordered fried rice from them. Did you? Was it good? I had a fried rice of Palooza actually, mm. um, uh, and discovered just exactly how non non uh, distinctive fried rices are. Uh, so, um, let's uh, let's ask quickly about ghost kitchens. Um, yep. Because yep. Uh, I mean, I I agree. I love ghost kitchens fundamentally because to me, yeah. it's a model. It's a different model, and this industry badly, badly has needed for a long time a different model that sort of changes. That that can improve efficiency and get this industry and, and mm-hmm. you know move this industry in a different direction mm-hmm. from the old the old way of doing things. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it does seem like there's so many of these that are popping up all over the place, and you know we have seen some concerns a little bit about some of the operations on occasion. Oh, that yeah. There's been oh, so yeah. much rapid growth with these that they've had some issues. I mean. I mean, is this just sort of, I mean, I guess the question is, is, is it just a learning curve that we're seeing with some of these restaurants or with some of these ghost kitchens or, or, uh, or, or what? 
Oh, I definitely think it's a learning curve. I think there, again, there will be those that win, that went out. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the ones that are doing it are, are making the capital investment to certainly run safe and, and, uh, and um, successful um, cooking environments. A lot of them, of course, are, I, I've seen, I've seen the ones that basically cube, you know, cubicle you off as a brand, mm -hmm. which was the original um, uh, cloud kitchen uh, kind of format. I've seen some others that do the shared facilities, which again, increases efficiency, but you have to have a lot of oversight on quality and standards. Um, so I think it'll, it'll shake out. I think the reef model actually is very bril brilliantly conceived, but it just comes head up against all of the limitations of, of, um, of trying to operate uh, in some of the not most desirable real estate in the world, you know, parking lots and, mm -hmm. uh, and the never places you'd never put, you'd normally never put a kitchen. So, but I think they're all working through that because the demand exists. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, the big chains don't sign deals with these guys uh, without the belief that they can execute it well. Um, yeah. And they actually are envisioning greater control than they find often with their franchisees who have a whole nother perspective on how to run it, right? This right. is a much simpler, this is kitchen, kitchen operations, um, very narrow menus, very ex high expectations, and it can be monitored closely. So I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think both of these are here to stay. And at some point there's going to be crossover because mm -hmm. virtual brands are going to need to be expressed through other kinds of real estate than just existing kitchens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this non-identified, if you will, um, world, virtual or whatever, or ghost or whatever you want to call it, is going to be a growth vehicle forever. Because there's also a lot of underutilized real, real estate in this country. Yeah. Dear God, how many, how many um, big box stores are sitting out there empty these days? Right. Um, you know, yeah, I could true. see transforming a, a number of the ones near me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be, be great real estate for that. Yeah. I mean, look at how many mall locations there are, or there are that have, have oh. uh, I mean, even like strong, otherwise strong malls have, have lost large, um, you know, they've lost large retailers. There's, there's, there's all of these different areas. There is a ton of absolute yeah. excess real estate and real estate in the restaurant space, not getting any easier because of, no. of uh, the amount of demands. No. And, and, you know, the only thing about the mall locations, the traditional, the freestanding big box, I think have or overbuilt kind of strip mall has yeah. better shot because I know when, when I was at Red Robin, one of the biggest issues we had was our growth mode of being off premise. The mall locations did not benefit from that because yeah. it's simply not as easy to get in and out of there. And, right. and so drivers talk about food that's been waiting a while. That'll, that'll definitely be there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an issue. If you talk to companies like Annie Ann's and, and Cinnabon that, that have tried to get you know, they actually have had to do some incentives to get drivers to come and pick surprised. up their pretzels uh, to, because they're in a mall location. And so obviously all of those concepts are, are aggressively looking outside of the mall. So, yeah, I mean, malls have their own challenges for sure. You can't get in and out of them. Well, no and, kidding. And, you know, and on top of it, um, I mean, you just you just call that a great point, which is, you know, this has never been a, um, a fulsome P&L. Restaurants have always mm -hmm. been hard to make money, right? And I think that's the other question is, how is all this going to shake out? Where, mm -hmm. where do the, the points of profitability go? Um, you know, in, the, in uh, the virtual brand space I'm working in, it's a pure rev share model uh, and, and it leverages existing labor. So, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, there's pretty good flow through there because they're not spending on advertising, marketing or paying the fees. That's the next bite model. They don't pay the third party fees. Um, mm -hmm. In the other cases, 
you know, sometimes it can be uh, a question of how many, how many ways can I split this up and who can I give the money to? And, and that's the other thing between third-party delivery, secondary sourcing of, of, of locations and brand and franchisees, there's not a lot of points to give away here. So the most efficient models are the ones that are going to work that out. Right. Um, and then you've got rising costs. And you know what? The guest will not do this at any cost. You know, they, uh, there, will be, there will be a narrowing ability to pay for this. Right. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, if I look into 2022, pricing is probably my biggest question mark. I mean, at some point uh, you got to wonder if people are going to continue to pay these prices. And Well, yeah, <laughs> I think people are going to have to get more inside. I mean, pricing has always been one of the greatest strategic tools in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when you're dealing with so many other things, it's just easier to say, take it all at 15. The reality is there are certain things you can do that on certain things you can't. And being very strategic and smart about pricing is one of those areas. Um, what, where will people pay a premium? But, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've, I'm amazed at, at some of the pricing and, and, uh, and what it costs for us to get a meal in here for three people. Yeah. All right. So if I'm a restaurant operator, what do I do if I want to create a virtual brand? What's your suggestions? What if um, I'm, I'm number one, there? I, yeah, I mean, my suggestion is going to be, um, uh, uh, unless you've got tons of excess resources hanging around your marketing department and you're really truly willing to carve off a team like Brinker did with its just wings. I mean, they mm-hmm. took a they took a they took a team and they separated them and they said, go make this work. Not this is your night hustle or your side job or anything else. This is your job. Go make this work. If you've got the capacity to do that, so an individual restaurant operator probably does not. They only have so much time and attention. The chains can probably do it. Um, but even those, they'll always snap back to taking care of the core brand. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute pressures come on, they'll turn off the spigot to the, to the new growth opportunity and come back to the core. So I would strongly suggest and, and you know, talking to outside suppliers who, who bring you totally conceived brands and who bring the marketing wherewithal and the attention especially the ones that are willing to take a look at what you do and how you do it well and do good matchmaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll call out a, a competitor in the next fight is Mr. Beast. They've done a nice job of that. I mean, mm-hmm. who'd have ever thought that Red Robin would be serving a um, Mr. Beast burger, but you know what? They're expanding it because mm-hmm. they know how to do it well. And it's a yep. different audience. Yep. So, you know, I do think that external source is a, is a good idea. Um, but you know, for the most part, it all comes down to not having to invest more capital if you can avoid it, getting more value out of your existing assets, and definitely looking at day parts because the growth in, for example, in breakfast and delivered breakfast at this point is high. Um, right. And if you if you can put a, like I said, a couple of people in the restaurant that were doing prep normally, have them do something else. It's a great idea. Right. It's revenue. It's revenue, and you can, by the way, turn it off. At at 11 o'clock, you know, you can manage these things. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be available all day and all night. Right. You can set the hours to make sure that it works. Well, well the other thing is hours. Um, You know, uh, one of the worst things was always, you know, you had set hours, you were open till 11 PM and, you know, you could shoot off a cannon in the lobby and nobody was in there or there was, you know, two drunks at the bar. Um, I mean, but the reality is you're still there. And, and, you know, it is possible that you can be serving late night, which is very mm-hmm. popular for, for delivery. Right. Um, you know, uh, by the way, the, the legalization of marijuana <laughs> border to border coast to coast, which is coming. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of delivery. 
That's I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it does. It, it does. Uh, you know, it's that late night. It's that late night state. You know. Well, well gotta, so, gotta do. We got a lot of changes, boy. You and I. Uh, let's go read our magazines. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, awesome. it, I, it's exciting. It's fun. It's, yeah. it's all. It's all new, and and uh, I think there's a lot of exciting growth ahead for this industry. Yeah. Great thing about the restaurant industry, it's always changing, always doing something different. There's always resilient as all get out. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, we definitely are. Super. Denny, this was great as usual. Thank Love you very much for joining again. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimberly Kazmarek, our work by Nico Hines. You may find this on other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. <laughs>